to be because there's always someone that's getting more recognition, getting more clients, making more money, you know, being a bigger deal. And it's really, really hard. And if you focus on it too much, you'll, you'll never win that game. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Moran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. sound sounds really good cool sounds good so it's uh just the two of us today yes yes unfortunately bryant had uh, a family emergency to to take care of so we'll get him back uh next time you know, um so oh you know, it sounds like everything is is, is okay but uh but yeah he had to go take care of that and understandably <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think we could probably pull it off. Yeah, I think so. At least one of us likes to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, I'm going to sit back and listen to you talk. And, <laughs> I wasn't uh... talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, then. Well, what are we, uh, what are the two of us going to try to fill the hour with today? So it, it, it's a concept that, you know, I've heard some other people talk about before and just, you know, it made me think about, you know, this kind of came up or at least came to mind when I was having a couple of conversations with you and, and Bryant. So if you think about it with many engagements, with many projects, you know, the focus is, is a document. You, you constantly see conversations being had about, you know, what's the status of the document? When is it being delivered? Where's the document at and, and whatnot. The document is viewed as the ultimate, <clears throat> excuse me, deliverable. Um, in actuality, the document is is not necessarily deliverable if you really think about it. The solution conveyed in the document, the process to identify uh, the solution, and then the process to actually design the solution are the deliverables, the journey you take the client through. Um, there, there is a key difference between focusing on the document and seeing that as, as the deliverable and then seeing the document as a tool to convey the deliverable. Um, and it's a difference that many uh, may miss. So why do, do people confuse the two? Why do people focus on the document and not necessarily the solution? Yeah, so I think it's, for one, it's probably easier. Um, it's, a, it's a tangible asset that can be pointed to. Uh, and so I think having a, a deliverable that's a tangible asset makes it much easier to have that conversation internally of, well, here is, is what we, we, we got. Um, unfortunately, I think it takes away from the real conversation, kind of what you're, you're pointing to is, well, what did we actually solve? What's the narrative of that? And, and, and that often I think leaves a lot of value of what's been completed left out of the conversation, which is unfortunate. I think another part of it is just it's what we've been accustomed to from the industry. 
very early in my career, I had the opportunity to work uh, with a team from Anderson Consulting. And one of the things that they turned me on to was this concept of the thud factor. Oh, and I think you and I talked about this early on when I joined the company. I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we, we did because, you know, that, that conversation and what I learned from them was, was so insightful and so telling and, and, and so frustrating at the, at the same time. So basically what the thud factor is, is that big consulting companies would be able to justify their bill rates based on how loud the final deliverable yeah, like it's a big, thick document, and I toss it onto the conference room table at the end of the project. The louder the thud, the more expensive the project. And so, and so, I think you know part of it is just built into the uh, built into the culture of how consulting is done is that we produce tangible documents as the output of all of our projects, and the thicker that that document is the louder the thud the more valuable the more expensive that that project is so i i think that that's a big part of it and we just don't realize that 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 mentality has been baked into how we do business and how we see working with external agencies that's the 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 measure that we use to determine the overall value cost success of a project since that's become the mentality you know, do you have any thoughts on where that, that may have come from? Or is it just something that has evolved over decades? And it's not necessarily a problem with our industry. It, it, it's with any, you know, any particular industry. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know enough about the, the history of, of consulting and where that may have, have come into play. Um, but um, I do know at some point in time that that clearly was, was a strategic decision that somebody made to say that the 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 weight of our the weight of our final documents is going to dictate the value of of our projects and it wouldn't surprise me if we were to trace this back long enough if its roots weren't somewhere in some kind of government contracts because it just seems like something that a government contract would would call for is like a weighty final deliverable printed out in a three ring binder. It just seems something that working with a government would, would end up producing. But I, I honestly have no idea what the, uh, what the roots of it are. Because I mean, it, it reminds me of like being back in, in high school <clears throat> and even to an extent college it didn't happen for me as much in college as it did in high school where the project was, you have to write a 10 page paper on, on a subject. Yeah. Um, regardless if you make your argument in the first three pages or not, it has to be 10 pages long. So, so what do you end up doing when that's the, when that's the rule? So, so, so funny story, like the, the, the joke side of it is, uh, so I went to Catholic school and there were a couple teachers that you knew that they read the kind of the first part and they read the end. So if you picked a couple spots in the middle, you could just slip in nonsense or you can mm -hmm. slip in something to, to ju just extend it. Like, I mean, I knew people that like inserted prayers into the <laughs> middle of it just to, 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 to extend the length of it. Um, but what happens is, is you end up just repeating yourself. You, you make the yeah. same point four times. 
Yeah, when you when you allow the end requirements of the length and thickness of the deliverable to dictate what it is that you're going to produce, then then instinctively your your thought is on how can I meet that requirement rather than focusing on producing something of of value, right? Because it I, I think it's just natural human behavior for us to think about, well, what am I going to be measured on? And then how do I work towards that, that measurement um, mm-hmm. for me? And I see my, my kids doing it. It's, it's how can I play around so subtly with the format to do that? Can I get away with a 12 and a half point font? Was their font requ- was their font size requirements? Can I choose a different font that is larger than others? Mm-hmm. Can I, can I shrink the margins in a tiny little bit? So so when I was in high school and college, um, I, it was coming in at, at a time when people were just starting to use computers instead of like a, like an electronic typewriter to, to, to write up papers. So you had the font control and I'm not going to lie. Every now and then I bumped it up to a 13 point font when I had like eight and a half pages and needed 10. Um, just, and, and I ran out of saying the same thing over and over again. So I, I have done that. Yeah. I know people have done that. And then it was after I got out of school, that's when they started instituting it's times new Roman it's 12 point font yeah. margins yeah. are this big. Cause then you also start to play the <laughs> margins a bit. Too. Yeah. 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 Uh, just enough. So, you know, you don't have a massive margin. It becomes obvious. Yeah. And, and again, I think that, you know, that, that goes to illustrate the point that when you make that, the thing that we're being graded and judged on, that tends to be where we're going to put our, our focus. So again, it, in, in my estimation, it would be much better to produce a two page document that was concise and to the point, than produce a five page document that's rambling just so I can meet the requirement that it has to be five pages yeah. and go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, to, to kind of go off a bit, um, did you, uh, did you ever read, um, the Dilbert principle by Scott Adams? It didn't. Uh, I mean, it, it came out, I want to say, I think I have least. it. I think I have it on my bookshelf yeah. somewhere. Oh, wait, hold on. Okay. Yep. There it is. All right. Um, I believe it's the Dilbert principle where he talks about at one point, I think it was his career. It was his, it was in his career. I don't think it was like something somebody sent him. Um, you know, he, he started off his career as a developer and the company as part of a quality assurance initiative in, the, in there, they, um, to increase productivity and, and the quality of the product that was being written, you know, they came up with this plan of, you know, they bonused, uh, every employee on every bug found, and then they bonused every developer for every bug fixed. And he's like, overnight, a black market, uh, <laughs> appeared of bugs and fixes. Yeah. You, right. You know? And I mean, this also, it, that thought popped in my mind as we started talking, you know, that same thing, like how many, you know, the, 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 the metric being how many bugs you fixed and um, how many bugs you found, well, we could easily control that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is a fascinating discussion because we, we, we work in a, in a field where we're all about producing insights into, into metrics. I, and then this probably as I mentioned in every podcast, probably spawns off a different topic of the dangers of of managing towards those those metrics. But you're right i i i saw it uh, I saw it in my first 
my first job out of college working in IT, I saw software engineers purposely introduce bugs into the system so that they could fix them. And, and, and I think we may have talked about this on a previous episode where we, you know, we had a rash of fires that were started by uh, volunteer firefighters. Like they would go out, start a fire, and then they out. would get called to put it out. We had one maybe about 10 years ago, uh, a, a rash of fires. And, it, you know, it, 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 it made the news because they were trying to find it because they started noticing a trend. It turned out to be a, a volunteer firefighter. Actually, I can't remember who's volunteer or not. But, yeah, it was the local firefighter starting fires. Yeah. So, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's dangerous. Um, but, oh, and... I actually just thought of something. So, yes, yeah, so we're definitely going to talk about, like, dangers of managing the metrics because I've got some stuff to talk about there. I want to talk about it briefly. So kind of getting back to the, the main topic of the document, the size of the document. Yeah. Focus on the document, the, not the process and not the actual solution. Um you know, you made me think of something there, managing the metrics, because there was one agency I was a part of, you know, several years back where everyone was judged quarterly on their utilization rate and their mm-hmm. billability rate. So, you know, at that point, like that's something people can can actually control. So, of course, I'm going to bill a client more or I'll find work to do with the client if I'm going to be judged on billability whether it, it's actual meaningful work or not. Yeah, and so I think, you know, as part of that conversation, where does the onus lie to, to change that? I think, I think it's on, on both sides of the, the equation. From a services company standpoint, I, I, I think it's, it, it's, our, it's our duty to help articulate the, the true value that we're solving for and not take the lazy, easy approach of, you know, I'll give you a thud factor document, but honestly, it's it's hard if there's no one pushing you to do that. Unless you have some own internal ethics and drive to do that, why should I do it? Why should mm-hmm. I work harder, right? Because, uh, you know, I'll tell you a story. I worked with a company uh, that was working with um, a design shop, um, and as part of their services, they had a I don't know if it's an upsell or whatever. They bolted on some analytics insights into their into their project and they produced a really really beautiful document it was you know fairly lengthy but looked really beautiful uh the company i was working with said hey would you mind taking a look at this i said wow this is beautiful there is absolutely nothing here Mm -hmm. in fact it looks like a template document that they did a control f find and replace and replace your name with a placeholder and had a few pointers that said you know, replace with client screenshot here. Everything else is completely boiler. Like, there's nothing here. But to to the company, they're like, well, this is beautiful. Like, look at this, what they produced. And so, you know, if, if we're okay with being able to sell the, the aesthetics of it and the thud factor of it internally to say, hey, look how amazing I did to buy the service from this company. And if as a services company, no one's pushing us to do more, I think we're stuck in this cycle where it's like, why, 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 why do we, you know, why should we like, if, if, if no one's asking for it, why put in the extra work to actually give something of, of value? And maybe it's completely unfair. You know, I, I, I kind of have these really, um, I don't, I don't even want to call them deep thoughts, but I have these thoughts about, and, and honest, uh, in all honesty, I struggle 
with this thought of doing things and I don't know what the right word for, word for it is. Is it is it right? Is it better? Is it more pure? But I, I struggle with this thought of I see so many services companies and, and I'm just talking about our space because where it's I have the most visibility into that do a really, really crappy half-ass job. Yet they do tons of business and companies buy from them. And so the the struggle that I'm always having in my head is why should we or anyone else go above and beyond? Like, look at all these companies that are proving that they can make a lot of money by being very mediocre and, and letting the thud factor of the document do all the, the work and talking for them. But then on the flip side, I, I ask myself, am I being fair? Is, am I being realistic? Maybe, maybe they are really, really good and I'm just being too judgmental or, you know, I think that we're somehow or I'm somehow better than them. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I thinking thinking through that, like p- part of it, I think gets beyond just like the mechanics of work, the mechanics of business. It, it part part of it's just maybe a, an innate feeling uh, of integrity, making sure what you deliver is up to to your standards. Because you know, if you remember back a couple weeks ago, our conversation with Stephen Marshall, you know, he was talking about the the same thing. Like, and I think that both of you started talking about like going to clients and saying. You know, they think it's great, but you think it could be better. And we, we, we came to the conclusion that that that, that is, you know, it, it's a level of integrity, knowing yeah. that you can deliver better. Um, and so I think it, it's integrity. And yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that is a very real struggle. And I'm, I'm kind of lost for words at the moment. And I'm trying to delay till I can really get a cohesive answer together. Well, let me well let me throw another thought in there. Okay. Um, speaking of speaking of past guests, we had Dan Roden on, and we talked about trust culture. And I think a big part of this is is trust, right? So mm-hmm. think about the whole billable hour model. And when you talk to companies and and you say, "Well, we don't bill by the hour," do you want to guess what the Number one response is, so when I talk to a prospect and they say, well, we need your rate card, we need your hourly rates. And I say, well, wait a minute, we don't, we don't sell hours. We sell projects, we sell partnership retainers. Do you, do you want to take a guess at what the number one response is? Go ahead. Um, it, it's a flavor of how do I know that you're doing work or how do I know something's going to be delivered in the end? Spot on. If, if, if I don't see how many hours you're working, how do I know you guys are actually doing the work? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with the document, right? And I think that that's why the document has become the focal point of service engagements because, well, if we don't have a document to point to, how do we know what you did? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, so and it's I'm, not, a, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, and, and, and my, my questions around this, the topic around it is not actually not, it's, not saying that there isn't going to be like a, a some something tangible delivered. It's talking about the focus on the tangible. Did the document get delivered? You know, the question is, did the document get delivered? It's that's the question instead of did the did what is in the document actually solve the problem? Did it actually provide a solution that works? That 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 that's the context. I'm not saying that something won't be delivered or like there right. isn't something that there's some kind of vehicle. That, that communicates a solution is the focus of was it done and boom, check, we have a document so the project's done. It's not necessarily vetting the quality within. 
Yeah, and 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 I don't want to come off as as sounding like the tangible documents or artifacts produced from a project aren't important. I think mm-hmm. I think they absolutely Agreed. are. Yeah. Um, I just don't believe that it should be the primary measurement of the overall success of the doc of the project. Right? Mm-hmm. It it should be it should be an artifact. It should be something that we have that we can refer to. Um, but if if the entirety of the project is measured on the end deliverable we're we're missing something um but again i think part of it is just built into the system of decades of how services have have been done you know i've worked with uh lots of procurement teams and there are a lot of them where it's document driven when it comes to services so when we're when we're filling out legal contracts there's a lot of well what are you going to have done at x y and z timeline into the project i'm like well we don't know we don't know when we get in there we're like well we don't know how to deal with that we can only create a relationship where within 30 days we get this document and within 60 days we get that document and i'm like what the hell is this you know Mm -hmm. but uh, again i think it's just part of creating a a reproducible process for being able to manage the work and so, you know, again, part of that is it could be billable hours. And if it's not billable hours, then, well, it has to be a tangible document because if I don't see how many hours you're working or I don't see a physical document, how do I know that anything is getting done? How does someone overcome the focus on the document? Like, and a lot of times it's not necessarily the main stakeholder. It's usually coming from a project manager, someone who doesn't have the deep understanding of the nature of the project, the nature of the solution, they're just focused on checking off an idol. And a lot of times you need to, 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 to manage them as well and their expectation. So again, someone who's focused on when you're, you know, you're just giving an example of certain dates that a document's going to be delivered. And say you get into a situation where a lot more discovery needs to be done uh, other things need to be identified. And again, it's the, taking the client through that journey and yeah. you know, the document just provides what was discussed during that journey. So how do you manage up to, to someone like that? So I would say a, a piece of advice that I would have is that every senior level consultant and above, and, and honestly, any senior level employee and above needs to also be their own project manager it's not a skill that you can rely on your company providing for you for a project. While that may be the case, it still doesn't take away from the fact that you need to be a project manager. Um, and it's not a skill that you can say, I'm just not good at, or I'm just not interested in doing. If, if you're at a senior level in your career, you have to be a good project manager. And I will tell you that from a services standpoint, especially a company that does services almost exclusively remote, one of the biggest anxiety producing things for a company is that I'm going to retain your services, you're gonna go away for three months, and then you're gonna come back with a final deliverable. That scares companies like crazy because we have no idea, what are you doing for three months? Is it in the right direction? So I would say my biggest piece of feedback there is don't allow an external or an internal project manager to dictate your cadence. While you may need to fit into a timeline, that's fine, but you also need to proactively manage the project. And part of that is very clear and articulate communication on progress being made. 
the easy thing to do again is a document, right? So mm -hmm. if if my if my tangible output is billable hours, then I send a report every Friday to say I spent X hours this week, you know. But the the real value is is something much greater than that. It's much greater than a find and replace. Here's what I'm delivering. It's much greater than a here's a report of how many hours I spent. It's it's you really helping shape the narrative of what we're accomplishing. And and we're kind of doing that internally. What are what are we what are we working on this week? What did we get done last week? You you need to be doing that same thing with your your clients. Otherwise, they're they're gonna be scared, right? Mm -hmm. They're gonna be scared because they have no idea what you're doing. And if you don't provide it, I guarantee you they're gonna push their project managers to drive you crazy micromanaging you, right? So and, and not to say that you can always get away from that, but I would say if you have, if you're a consultant and you have a client's project manager micromanaging you, there's a really, really good possibility that you're not giving them the detailed information they need to feel comfortable. That's a really interesting perspective that, you know, it's not necessarily the project manager to you. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's the easiest place to start. And, mm -hmm. and again, you know, it could be the project manager. We've worked with some some really challenging project managers, but the easiest place to change the world is with yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, start with me. Like, am I, you know, let me understand the situation. Why are they asking me for this? Am I giving them the information they need? Are they under pressure to be able to internally talk about the progress, but they have no idea because I'm not telling them, you know, so what, what can I do better in that situation where you have a project manager micromanaging and, and, you know, even if it is both sides that are are contributing to the problem, at least you can change your behavior, um, mm -hmm. and and that can go a long way in changing that the the overall um, kind of engagement. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, and, and that's you know talking about a project manager, someone who may not have the you know the the knowledge of exactly what the goals of the of the engagement are. You know, so I mean, yeah, there, there's definitely one way to to, to change that, but. You know, what about when your stakeholder is is focused on the tangible stuff, whether it's they weren't the buyer and so someone else, you know, purchased the engagement and then put this person on there or um, they just need to show something to their bosses. So, again, focus yeah. on the tangible output and not the journey we're taking them through. What are some of the steps that you do to 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 really change their perspective, or you know, give them the insight that the conversations that we're having, the the deep discussions of things that we're looking into, that's really the important thing, and that there will be something to, to to reflect this, but that's not the goal of this engagement. Yeah, I I, I would say the the number one most important thing is is empathy. In, in those situations, because the if there's if there's one kind of thing that I've learned in working with with corporate, and this is going to sound really really bad, um, but I think we have to be honest that it's probably true. Most people don't care. Most people don't care about the company. It's a job, right? Like I'm I'm doing something in exchange for a paycheck. It's not my company, you know, it's, it's a job. And, and because of that, especially from a consulting perspective, we come into it thinking, well, we're here to solve a condition of the company. We're here to make the company more money, but 
nine times out of 10, our stakeholders could care less unless it's impacting their ability to get a raise, get a bonus, get promoted, fill in the blank. That's, that's just the reality. And so I would say the very first thing is what, what can we do to empathize with our, our stakeholder to give him or her what she needs? Right. And if it's, if it's a document, let's talk about why that is and understand what pressures they are under. You know, we, we oftentimes don't go to that level of conversation We're we're brought in to solve a certain problem, but we hold short of talking with our stakeholders about, well, what do you need? Like what commitments have you made? What, what things are you being held accountable for? Is your boss asking you to get certain things done this quarter that if you don't hit, then, you know, you're on plan or you don't get your budget. We don't have those conversations. And then through our relationship, those things come out, but not directly. And so we're like, what the hell's wrong with that guy? I'm like, well, what's wrong is we're not giving him what he needs. And now they're like freaking out that they're going to, you know, miss the their goals that they've committed to. And, and so, I, again, I think having empathy enough to take a step back and say, you know, I know we're, we're coming in to clean up your Adobe Analytics implementation. Great. We can do that with our eyes closed. But what do you need? What are you being asked to do? What are you being measured on? How can we make you successful? I think that's the conversation that, that needs to happen and doesn't always happen. And that often leads to to breakdown in communication um, and and all sorts of problems. I don't know if we're getting way off tangent here, but I think it's all all closely related. No, no, it, it definitely is because you know I, I I think you know sometimes the the I don't want to say the root of it because yeah I think it, it it's definitely much deeper than this. But I think, you know, you're, you're coming you know, when you have a situation like this, where say you're a senior level consultant that's brought in to not just solve a problem, but sometimes even identify the problem mm -hmm. um, or say a, the problem is identified during the sales process. But as you get in, you realize that's actually not the real problem. That's a red herring. The real problems over here and shifting the perspective and, you know, getting people on board that okay, while during the sales process, this was identified, but we're actually found something much bigger and the problem's over here and we need to solve this. So, but you have either people like, you know, say again, a project manager we were talking about a few minutes ago where I was told the project is this, we need to check these items off the list. We can't veer from it. Or, yeah. you know, you have an employee that, you know, just maybe it isn't, you know, a senior level. Or I think you bring up a good point. They just don't care. You know, yeah. they're, they're there to do a job and then go home. Yeah. And, and, you know, because of all of these factors, I think it, 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 it helps illustrate why it's so important to focus on what you're solving, what you're enabling rather than what you're producing. Mm -hmm. and, and that may sound like a subtle difference, but what happens is, is again, you tend to produce what you, you focus on. So, so let me give you two examples from very typical work that, that we do. So let's say, uh, a, let's say a company is looking to implement a more robust data collection strategy for their analytics practice. There are many, many agencies that will sell you a solution design that will sell you a variable map that will sell, sell you a data layer recommendation 
Mm -hmm. What are all three of those? Those are like tangible deliverables that the focus of this project is on the deliverable. Let's just make it super simple. We're going to deliver a data layer recommendation document. That's mm -hmm. what you're buying from us. And so now the data layer recommendation document becomes the focus. And how easy is it to make that leap back to the thud factor document where, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to take out client Y's logo and I'm going to put client Z's logo in there. And I know there's a bunch of references to the client name that I just do a finer place. Now, all of a sudden, like our focus is again on just this boilerplate document because that's the focus. Whereas if we shift the conversation and saying, well, what is the, what is the company trying to solve for? You know, we have, we have, we have data that's not trusted and therefore our, our marketing department can't action on it. So we're, we're buying from you a clean implementation that will enable our marketing department to do personalization programs. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden the focus is on building that and it's a highly, highly personalized solution for that client, for that company. And again, it's a really, really subtle difference, but if we could pull back the covers and look at deliverables, from companies that sell the deliverable, you would not be shocked to find that most of those look really, really similar. They're find and replace because the focus plate. is on their boilerplates because the focus is on the document and not on what we're solving for. Mm -hmm. And so, so not to sound redundant, to kind of pivot the conversation a bit. Um, I, I do want to eventually get to a point where we start to kind of wrap up and talk about like, again, just revisit a bit more like what we can do and, you know, actual steps people can take to, to, to try to try to change, say perspectives or whatnot. Um, and I'm not, again, not to sound redundant, but like, what are some of the problems that, you know, come up when you just focus just on this? And I think we may have touched on them here and there and what we've talked about so far, but definitely want to make sure we call it out. Like what, you know, if your focus is purely on delivering a spreadsheet or delivering a, a technical spec and that's all that's in there and not necessarily ensuring that what you're doing is solving it. And I just may have answered my own question. So I'm just going to cut it off right there. <laughs> is it say like, what are some of the problems that you can come up? Like what are some, some real world examples that you've seen where engagements kind of go down that path? So you're going to have to restate the middle part of it because you sounded like a robot on my end. <laughs> so really the, the, the crux of the question is, is um, what are some issues that um, can be seen? What are some of the problems that can come up if you're focused purely on an end tangible uh, deliverable versus the journey you're taking the client on? Well, I think the biggest problem we just talked about is you can have a successful project because the deliverable requirement is met that doesn't meet the needs of the business. Mm -hmm. it hap I've seen it happen a lot, right? You, you deliver the final document, the final deliverable, but in no way does it align with what the, the business actually needs. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's the biggest problem from a services company's perspective. The biggest problem it creates is it commoditizes your services. If if I'm just doing a find and replace and I'm filling out documents, I can I can offshore that pretty cheaply. I can get some AI to start to fill that in. And so, from a services company standpoint, you're you're going down a, a path of becoming a commodity, which is is very very dangerous. But I think the more most important part of the conversation is what is the impact on the on the customer and on what they're getting. And again, from a measurement standpoint. 
we may be able to check all the boxes that we delivered the document. But from a, a business standpoint, from a success standpoint of the value of what we're actually creating, there there definitely could be a mismatch there. And and we've seen it. You know, we we have we have people here. We've talked with pretend uh, potential um, employees. One of the biggest things that I hear from from people that are kind of senior in their career is that they want to work on things that matter. And whether they've been working for services companies or for, you know, directly for a company, this happens all the time, right? It's about checking the boxes and delivering the thud. And I checked the boxes. I, I did my job. But at some point in time, for, for people that truly care about where they're investing their time, that becomes very depressing. Like, you know, you're not taking into my, my, my feedback isn't helping change the direction of the company. You're not even reading the document, right? It's because you don't care. They don't care. It's, did we fulfill the requirements of completing this document? Great, great. Let's move on. But for, for people that, that care, that can be very hard to take and they want to create something of, of worth and, and value and meaning. Um, so being able to, to, you know, make the focus on what are we solving for? What conditions are we solving? What are we enabling? You know, that that's really changing the the tone of the conversation. God, I feel like I'm just going to start repeating ourselves. You want to talk about trying to fill airtime? <laughs> because like, I, I want to start to pivot towards like kind of wrapping up and again, trying to get to some like actual next steps people can take. So again, my, my next thought was, is okay, what, what, what can people do? And maybe we could look at it from a couple different perspectives. You know, someone say that's selling for a services company um, and, you know, a company that's focused on the, the actual solution and not a document. And then also, you know, someone who's an individual employee or, you know, someone who is, is a consultant. How do you try to change perspectives? I think the number one thing is you have to take pride in your work. Because if if you're going to look for external fulfillment, I, I, I think it's a it's a really dangerous, speaking from experience, path to go down. Because just because you're really good at what you do doesn't mean you're going to be recognized by your industry, by your peers, you know. And 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 conversely, you may have people that are in your industry that are held up as industry leaders and um kind of the 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 people that everyone looks to as setting the standard that from your perspective you're like well wait a minute there's not much substance to this person mm -hmm. and it can get really really like really frustrating to to work in that that type of setting and from a business standpoint the same right uh, again i we've seen numerous cases where i've had the opportunity to review uh deliverables from from other agencies and i'm like why did you pay so much for this? There's no substance to it. And so if I'm using that as the measure to stack up uh, what I'm doing, it's, it's going to fail. So I think it has to come from within that, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm recognized by my industry. It doesn't matter if I'm recognized by my boss. What matters is, do I have pride in what I'm doing? And for me, pride is in creating something of value pride in being respectful to the relationship that a company is willing to pay us thousands of dollars to produce something for them. I'm not going to half-ass it. I'm going to deliver something that is is meaningful, even though I know I may be able to to get away with do, doing a, a you know, half-decent job. I have to hold myself accountable because I have pride in, in what I do. 
I think it has to start there. How do you handle the the frustration? Kind of talk about that, like not being externally validated. Maybe I don't know because I'm not good at it. Okay, and I, <laughs> and I struggle. I I will be honest. I struggle with it greatly, and especially with the noise of social. You know, sometimes I have to pull back from it because everywhere I look, and it's it's probably you know depending on the the mindset that I'm in, but there are, there are occasions where. Everywhere I look, I see proof that, you know, having pride in what you do isn't isn't getting you where you need to be because there's always someone that's getting more recognition, getting more clients, making more money, you know, being a bigger deal. And it's really, really hard. And if you focus on it too much, you'll you'll never win that game. Um, and the risk is, again, like burnout, depression. It's very real. Um, and so I don't know because I'm victim to it as probably as much or, or more than anyone else. But I, I do know the answer is that that it needs to come from within. Um, but that's much easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Now, don't you think that like, you know, maybe those um, that, that, that get those accolades um, that, oh, God, this is going to sound awful. Um, we're not talking about anyone in particular here, um, no. but, uh, you know, maybe those that you see getting those accolades that, you know, maybe it is smoke and mirrors or it's, it, it's maybe a half-assed thing, but there's just a lot of fluff around it getting those, those accolades. Don't you think eventually, you know, that that's going to be seen for, for what it is? Not necessarily. Okay. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think if, um, I think if you look at, at most industries, this isn't specific to analytics consulting. This isn't specific to services. I think it, it's rampant in, in all industries. And, um, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I, I think the general populace is, is no wiser to it. Um, again, and that's why I think it's so important for that motivation and drive to come within because, you know, hopefully you're holding yourself to a higher standard than what the general populace is, is holding you to, because I don't think over time that it, it, it changes. And, you, you know, I think from an awards and a recognition standpoint, I think that there are times when really, really talented artists, creators fill in the blank, get recognized for their work, but oftentimes they don't, um, because a lot of that is self-driven, you know, getting awards, having been on the inside of how you get nominated and win awards, it's, it's a lot of politicking and it doesn't just happen because you're good and people recognize, Oh, they're good at what they do. It's, it's a whole process. There are companies that have whole parts of their organizations that all they do is work the networks to get nominated for awards and Inc 500 and fastest growing this and top place to work. And, you know, those aren't organizations that have gone out and done deep research and said, Oh, this is a great company to work for. No, these companies are absolutely. And so, you know, you have to be really, really careful with that. Um, a great documentary um, that I, I love, uh, I think it's called um, Blood Into Wine. I think it's called Blood or Blood Wine. Um, it's, uh, it's Maynard um, Keenan from Tool, mm -hmm. lead singer. Um, talking about his journey to creating a vineyard in Arizona. Oh, I think you mentioned um, this. Yeah. Let me look it up real quick. So I give you the right. Uh, 
the right documentary name. It's a really, really Blood Into Wine. Blood Into uh, Wine. Okay. 2000, yeah, Blood Into Wine, 2010 uh, documentary. Really, really good. Uh, but one of the reasons why I'm drawn to Maynard is that um, he tends to be the opposite of the company, the guy going out there and looking for all the attention and all the awards and, you know, would rather be behind the scenes. And I don't know if you've ever been to a tool concert, you know, mm. like he's in most lead singers are up front. Look at me, look at me. He's often in the back. He's sometimes hidden behind a screen. Wow. Like it's, it's, you know, it's about the music. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's not the, the focus on, on me. And he has this really great quote. Um, I'm just going to say it. So I think the Grammys are nothing more than some gigantic promotional machine for the music industry. They cater to a low intellect and they feed the masses. They don't honor the arts or the artists for what they created. Mm -hmm. I love that quote because it's an important reminder when, again, we look at these, you know, Inc 500 and best places to work and all of that. It's, it's, it's a promotional machine. These are promotional machines. And they're not, they were never really created to honor the art. And that has to come from within. That has to come from, I feel comfortable with what I'm creating. And I need to get to a place where I don't need that external validation to know that I'm creating something of, of worth and value that, that can't come from anybody else, but yourself. And again, I, I completely understand that that's way easier to say mm -hmm. than, than to do. But you know, if, if, if we're looking for validation from the industry that we work in, from our peers, from our bosses, all of those things would be great, would help stroke our egos. But the reality is, is that we need to get to a place where we're doing things because we have pride in what we do and what we create. And if we're, if we're, if we're creating to the standard that we have for ourselves and we can celebrate and honor that, then I think we've reached some kind of nirvana. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. I've actually got two thoughts, but I need to take a quick bio break. I've had a little too much coffee. I will be right back. <laughs> so Jim's taking a bio break. So I'm going to find a random cartoon from the Dilbert principle here. All right. All right. So while 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 you were out on bio break, I flipped open to a random random page. So here here you go, uh, and it and it and it perfectly fits how we kicked off the <laughs> the podcast. Uh, here's my consulting report on your company. I had no insights, so I bulked it up by adding witty analogies. His head was like a hollow putty ball attacked by two pointy dust bunnies. Vivid, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's really really funny um so i may have asked you this before and th this thought came up as you started going into uh maynard's you know definition of the grammys have you ever seen adam ruins everything on true tv i have uh did you ever see the episode of adam ruins hollywood i didn't okay that's a good one because he goes into um you know several things that you know we all know in you know Hollywood's phony, but like people kind of want to believe the fantasy. But he goes into award shows, and he said the award shows are nothing but massive marketing machines, you know. Mm -hmm. And of course, they always have a character playing like the well, the award shows. You know, they they celebrate the best and brightest in the industry, and he's like wrong. 
the best usually doesn't right. win. It's usually the 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 the, the uh, production house that uh, um, woos the judges the best. Yeah. And, and yeah, no, I, I completely you know I, I can see the same thing there. Like you know, most award shows are that way. Um, so that was one thing. But then the other thing I thought of as as you were talking is so we were you know we've been talking about it from the perspective of the consultant or just the producer, let's call it a producer. They're producing some, some kind of product or some kind of result for somebody. And, you know, we're talking about like, you know, there are those that just need to produce something. So, Hey, here's what it is. Right. They they really don't put the care into it. And I forget the exact question I asked you, but when you came back with what you came back with, it made me think. So then at this point, then is it something where not only do, you know, does the consumer then want to just believe the easy answer? You know, the producer you know, wants the easy answer because then they can collect money off of something that is, is easy to produce. But does the consumer want the fantasy of the easy answer? I don't think so. Um, and the, the, the picture that I have in my head um, and I, and I can't remember who used this in, in a TED talk that I listened to, but um, using the the Apple concept of marketing, and they were talking about the iPod, and they're talking about how there are all these competitors in the space that that produced. So let's go back to how we started the conversation. Do, you know, deliverable documents that produce documentation. Here's like all the things that our iPod, our iPod Challenger, you know, MP3 player can do. You know, here's your here's your user guide of everything it can do. And and rather than focusing on the deliverable, Apple chose to focus on well, what are we solving for the experience? And they came up with, we're going to allow you to put 10,000 songs in your pocket. And that resonated with the consumer. So I think that consumers do do want that. They just don't know how to verbalize it and, and you know, in a way that that makes sense. And even though that may make complete sense, there's going to be very few apples that tell that narrative. And there's going to be lots and lots and lots of competitors that give you a 500 page user manual on how to use your MP3 player. But the consumers are going to tell you, right? Like, especially in the early days of, of the iPod, it was it was a dominant killer in that category. And so whether the consumer could verbalize it or not, they were, they were letting their, their preference be known by where they were spending their money. Um, I, I think it may be a little bit harder to, to draw that on the, in the consulting world. But I, I think if you're able to, from a, from a services agency, get to the point where you're selling 10,000 songs in your pocket, you absolutely do have a massive advantage and that the, the buyer, whether they can verbalize it or not, will want that nine times, 99 times, 999 times mm-hmm. uh, out of a, out of a thousand over the, well, here's your 500, te- 500 page tech spec. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the iPod challenger, you know, there, there's a great scene at the end of guardians of the galaxy volume two where Peter Quill, uh, Chris Pratt's character gets handed an MP3 player to replace the cassette he's had with him, the cassette player that he's had with him since he was a kid. And the MP3 player is a, is a Zune. And they're like, yeah, mm. here, these are all the rage right now on earth. <laughs> 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 so, 
So that's awesome. I can't believe we actually found a way to get a Zune reference into this one. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy things happen when there are only two of us on the podcast. Exactly. And we were worried we wouldn't have been able to fill the time. I know. And that was good. It was a it good was one. Good. Again, I think we we kind of wandered all over the place, but I, I, I think we were able to touch on some valuable points directly related to, I think, the original topic. But we also strayed off a bit um, in some areas that I, I think are definitely worth uh, exploring. And, and hopefully we gave everyone some some things to to think about. And, you know, from a services side, and, and really we're all in services, whether we work for a services company or we're an employee, we're offering a service. Um, you know, I think my, my, my biggest things are, you know, I love that part of the conversation where we talked about the importance of, of having pride in what you do and kind of having that be your, your, your driver. And, and ultimately we're all trying to sell a service that we provide. So thinking about, do we have pride enough in what we create to get away from selling the thud factor, the tech spec to selling, you know, enabling our, our customer to personalize our customers experiences, um, by putting 10,000 songs in your pocket. That, that, that's a question that I think every individual has to answer. And, and again, while we took a very consulting specific approach to it, I think a lot of what we talk about definitely translates over to employees because you're, you're your own consultant, you're your own services company, you know, you're selling something. So uh, hopefully a lot of it applies. Yeah. Nope. Totally agree. Um, so yeah, this was a really, really good episode. Uh, Bryant, we missed you on this one, but we'll get you, uh, back on the next one. Cool. Thanks, Jim. All right. Thanks, Jason. I'll catch you later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents podcast is a production of 33 Sticks.